0: you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. You know, um, in our cultural values, I think uh, we spent 18 weeks on the cultural values, and uh, can you remember what the first one is? Jesus is our lead story. Well, if He's our lead story, who is He? Don't you think it's important that if He is the reason we exist, He is the reason we function as a church, He's the reason why the universe is in place, He's the reason why you're here to worship, don't we need to know who He really is? You know, it's interesting, uh, Jesus asked His disciples, those who spent three years with Him, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You remember Peter's confession? Thou art the Son of the living God. Boy, what a great answer. But today, there are many ideas and thoughts about who Jesus is in our society. If you were to talk to people and say, okay, Jesus, who is he? Well, the first thing you'll find out is he he divides a lot of things. You, you talk to people in our culture who, who don't want to acknowledge who Jesus is because they're afraid that they'll have to be accountable to what He says. Or, or there's those out there who've chosen certain lifestyles that, that we know the Bible does not endorse. And, and so many of them, don't, they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And then there's those who will say, well, you know, Jesus, He, he was a teacher. He was a teacher, and if we would just live by what Jesus said to, to, to love God, if we just love each other as ourselves, then, then, then we can really get somewhere as a society. Other people have said he's a moral leader. And if we would just look at the morals that he taught, boy, we would be so much better off. There were others who said he was a madman. He was a lunatic, some people would say. Others would say that he was a, a hater of sinners. There are those in our society today that believe that because they don't have their, their lifestyle or what they desire to do endorsed by Scripture, that, that Jesus must hate sinners. And, and we know that's not true. God loves sinners through Jesus. Many would, I think many of us would agree with this, that He's the most misunderstood person who has ever lived. I, I think we would all agree with that. So who Jesus is is the most important question that can be asked of us. And do you know why? Because the answer has eternal implications. Eternal. You, you know, when you think about this life, this life here, you, know, you, you hear of those who are passing on in their 40s or 50s, and then some are blessed with a longer life, 70s, 80s, and 90s, but that's very small in comparison to eternity. And so if we were to say, okay, what's the biggest question? What's the biggest question that needs to be answered correctly? What would it be in light of eternity? Well, who is Jesus? And a great question is this. Who is Jesus to you? It's been said, I've been reading a book, and this is one of the quotes that's in the book. It says, Christians have made the gospel about so many things. Things other than Jesus. But Jesus Christ, listen, is a gravitational pull that brings everything together and gives everything meaning. Without Him, all things lose their value. They are like displaced or detached pieces floating around in space. And that would include many people's lives. Think about who Jesus is to you. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've been building your life upon him and and what you know about him through God's word, then then I guarantee you, you're not one of those people out there just kind of floating around. You're someone who sees the value of what God has provided through Jesus and, and you see the value that you've built in your life. But there's so many other people out there, some people that we love who are just coasting who are just going with the winds of our society and it leaves them feeling empty and, 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 and all these different things out there. Think of, think of this. Every revival in the church has been a rediscovery of some aspect of Christ in the process of answering the critical question, who is Jesus? Did you know revival begins when when God begins to shake the church? When God begins to shake the individual? Listen to what normally happens. There's a rediscovery of his scripture and its authority. All of a sudden people say, you know something? We need to acknowledge who Jesus is, who he truly is. And we need to understand that his book is the authority in which we need to live our lives. And for many, the revivals that have broken out have been a rediscovery of that. For others, it's a rediscovery of his supremacy and his lordship. You know, it's interesting that we live in a society where we can call so many shots. We, we can make so many different decisions and we lose sight of the fact that the one that we pray to, the one that is our savior, the one who's not only our savior, he's our lord. We lose sight of that sometimes. That he's the one. It's his supremacy. It's his lordship. At other times, when great revival has entered the church or entered into a heart, it's a rediscovery of his spirit and the spiritual leadership in that person's life or in the church's life. All becoming, listen, all this is becoming a central reality in our lives. Today, I want to introduce to you the Bible Jesus. The Bible Jesus, not the Jesus that we hear misrepresented out there in society and, and, and those who say, well, he's a, he's a good man, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He, he was a good moral teacher. Let's just listen to his teachings. We're, we're talking about something that supersedes that. Who is the real Bible Jesus? Well, we saw in the video, he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Lord. He's the only Savior. He's the only Son of God. So look at the introduction down your outline. We're going to begin a small study on 1 John and look at the introduction there. John wastes no time in telling us that Jesus is the authentic Son of God and that He has come to make Himself known to us. He demonstrates this by telling us that He has experienced Him personally. So John is going to share with us as we'll see in Scripture, hey, I've experienced Him personally and that we can also experience Him. First John, if you look at how it's written, It appears to be a general letter written to believers everywhere. It wasn't just written to a particular church. It was written to those who are believers everywhere. If you were to say, okay, what's the theme verse of the whole book? At 1 John, many agreed that the theme verse is 1 John 5:13. And here's what it said: it says, Many of you know this, these things I've written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, it's so important for us to understand God. And what he was attempting to do through his son, Jesus. Everything about our life hinges on it. Hinges on it. John wrote this letter. I want you to think about this. When things were really bad. Things were really bad when he wrote this letter. Many people believe he wrote it probably, possibly in in 90 A.D. or later, 94 A.D. He's an older man now, he's, he, he's, he's probably, many people believe he's probably just penned the Gospel of John, and now he's writing three other letters that we know about. Uh, the book of Revelation, all this seems to have been written while he was on the Isle of Patmos, he has time to reflect. And so he's sitting there and he's writing these things. Now, one thing about John, I think John, apart from Paul himself, was probably one of the greatest theologians that we find in Scripture. I mean, he really helps you see things in light of who Jesus is. But John seems to do something extra. He seems to peel back the onion even further when it comes to the true intimacy of who Jesus was. Isn't it interesting when you read the book of John, he's talking about the disciple that Jesus loved. Do you know who that was referring to? It was referring to himself. He says it over and over in the Gospel of John. He experienced and knew the love of Jesus Christ personally, practically, in any way you can imagine it. And he's sitting there, and he's, he's telling us these things. But what's happened now, Jesus, has his death, burial, and resurrection, we fast forward, I mean, almost 50-some years, the temple's been destroyed, Jerusalem's been destroyed, the Christians have been blamed for the fires in, in Rome by Nero, the emperor, and now everyone is persecuting Christians. The Jews, those who make up the Roman Empire, everybody's going after those who call themselves Christians. Christians. John's general purpose for writing this epistle is to reassure Christians in their faith and to counter false teachings about who Jesus is. Let me ask you this. Do we need to to counter the false representation of who Jesus is in our culture? Yes, we do. And you know one of the greatest ways we can do that is not only to proclaim the Word of God, but live the Word of God. Live the Word of God. So, look on your outline. John begins with a, a, a Christological or, or, or Christology lesson. And what he wants to do is he's saying, Here, I want to introduce you to the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that I know. So, look on your outline. He says that Jesus has always existed. So, look at 1 John chapter 1, the very first verse. That which was from the beginning. Now, who's the object of who he's talking about here? It's Jesus himself. That which is from the beginning. Now, doesn't it sound very familiar with something else he wrote? Sounds very familiar with the Gospel of John in chapter one, in verses one and two. Look at what it says. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who's the subject here? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so John, he just comes forward. And and what he's trying to raise here when it comes to those ideas of who God is, of who Jesus is. He's saying Jesus is equated with deity. Jesus is a central point of all humanity. This world is all about him. And by the way, he's always existed. Which sets him apart from us, doesn't it? It means he's God. Next we see Jesus who is deity has not only always existed, but the same Jesus, look on your outline, can be experienced. He can be experienced. I went and did a little research. I love um, dictionaries and reading what words really mean. I think so many times we use words, and we understand a part of what a word means, and we use it in everyday language, and we talk about it, but here's what's very interesting. Many times the words, when you go back and look up where the roots come from, sometimes you see that these words have a grander meaning. And when it comes to this idea of experience, it's that whole idea of something that comes to us beyond knowledge. It's something uh, that we meet with. You undergo something. You observe something. You feel something. And so when you experience it, you're bringing all your cognitive uh, members of who you are to to the subject. It means you literally experience it. So, how can Jesus be experienced? Look, through, look on your outline. Through a life of flesh. Through a life of flesh. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, it says this. John says this. This one, the object of who I'm talking about, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. You're talking about experiencing something. That's experiencing something. John was experienced, listen, Jesus was experienced in the flesh by those in the first century. Notice John uses the word like we or our. John is saying that we were eyewitnesses and we are willing to die for what we saw, what we heard, and what we handled. And guess what? All the apostles, except for John, by the way, would come to a tragic death. And it's interesting that these were men who were willing to die with what they seen and what they heard. You know what's interesting about the Jesus that's being talked about in our society? The Jesus that's being talked about in our society, listen, I I don't mean any disrespect, but it really is this way. is a Jesus that's not worth dying for. He's a Jesus that can be swayed. He's a Jesus that, that, co- that comes to, on our agenda. He's a Jesus that basically... Uh, well, he approves what we want Him to approve. He's a Jesus that we can rationalize away. But guess what? That's not the Jesus that's presented in the Bible. The Jesus who's presented in the Bible is Lord and Master. And the one who's always existed. The one who can be experienced. Can you imagine... Being in the presence of Jesus when he walked this earth. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine maybe being his childhood friend? Wouldn't that be cool? Grow up with Jesus, watching discovery, watching him discover things. And I mean, the Bible says he grew in every area like we do. And just seeing how that played out. Or being one of these uh, disciples who walked with him and so many times they misunderstood. How many of you see that all through the scripture? They so much misunderstood and, and they misunderstood all the way to his death. And then all of a sudden, what happened? Pentecost happened. Spirit of God came and then dwelt them. There came a whole new understanding about what seemed to be a mystery for so long. And then they began to see it. Their eyes were open. They began to walk in light, not in the darkness of the, of the deception that was around them. Listen to this. Here's one thing when it comes to Jesus. Jesus has always been attacked in one of two ways. Some attack his deity and say if he was a man, then he was not God. Some attack his humanity and say if he was God, then he wasn't man. That was at least the argument in the first century. Now, it's interesting that John wrote his gospel, listen, to prove Jesus was God. And then he turned right around and devotes the first part of this epistle to prove that Jesus was a man. He's trying to get you to see that he was the God-man. That is the real Jesus. That's the Bible Jesus. He's the God-man. Next Jesus can be experienced through a life of flesh, as John and the disciples uh, witnessed, or through the word of life, through the word of life. There's just a progression I want you to see in this whole experience. And we'll look at this in just a moment. But the first thing I want you to see, I want you to look at maybe the third part of the first verse there. 1 John 1 says this, the third part, concerning the word of God, excuse me, the word of life. He's saying that if you look at the subject matter of what I'm saying here, we've experienced him. We've experienced him in the flesh. Now he's saying, guess what? There's the word of life that's been presented to us. Guess what? The letter that John is writing here is going to become part of that life, that word of life. It will be something that's shared with everyone. So listen to this. If you look at this and you believe the Holy Spirit is directing God's word, listen to this. The words of deity, how many of you agree are very important? Very important. The words of deity, listen, are the character and the being of deity. What God is attempting to do with these writers, with who Jesus is, He's basically saying, I want to reveal to you who I am. I want to reveal to you my character. I want to reveal to you in such, I want to reveal myself to you in such a way, listen, that you can experience me. Experience me. Look at what it says in John 1.14. Look here on the screen. It says in the Word... Became flesh and dwelt among us. It means he made his home here with us. And we beheld his glory. You know, what that, you know what it means to behold his glory? It means we saw in full view his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is the revealed truth of God. If you are to say, okay, give me the epitome of what truth is, Jesus said what? I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the truth. You want to know truth, look at me. Look at me. Now here's why Jesus is so misrepresented in our society. It's because people don't want to look at truth. They don't want to look at truth. And so therefore, if Jesus says, I am truth, they don't want to look at truth. Guess who they don't want to look at? They don't want to look at Jesus. And and if if they do look at Jesus, they want to somehow make him in their own image. And so therefore, you got all these different Jesuses around. Well, Jesus is a God of love. He, he would never send anyone to hell. Jesus, oh, he, he, he's a, he, he, he just loved everybody. you talking about the same Jesus who talked about, depart from me for I never knew you? Are you talking about the same Jesus who, who, who took a whip and went and whipped up on some money changers? Are you talking about the same Jesus who said, if you're with me, you're with me. If you're against me, you're against me. Are, you, are we talking about the same Jesus who said, narrow is the way, but broad is the way to destruction? That's the same Jesus we're talking about. But he's not, that's not the one represented in our society. So interesting how we conveniently want to change truth. By changing truth, what are we doing? We're changing the nature and the character of Jesus himself. That's a very dangerous place. Very dangerous place. Jesus, listen, It's the revealed truth of God. The word of life, that meaning there in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, here it is. The word of life in this context means the person and work of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in the gospel. It means it's actual and it's historical. It's truth. It's living. These words are words of life meaning. Here's what this means. This is amazing what it means. It means that we can experience the same Jesus that John knew in the first century. Think of that. We can experience Him. Maybe not in the same way. How did John and the rest of the disciples experience Him? In flesh. Right there in the flesh. But guess what? There's there's another part that's this experience. is experiencing Him through the word of life. But thirdly, not only that. Through eternal life. He can be experienced through eternal life. 1 John 1, chapter 1. Look at verse 2. He says, The life was manifested... And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The word manifest there, if you look at it in its intended meaning, it means something that was hidden becomes, is revealed. It's literally just something that appears. Who appeared on the scene in the first century? The Son of God. He appeared. Truth became embodied (laughs) and all of a sudden we're sitting there and we're seeing this john is basically saying that the truth concerning eternal life came from jesus christ himself and that eternal life can be experienced it's not something we're waiting on y'all it's something that we can live in the reality on this side if we live in the reality of eternal life on this side of death guess what it changes everything it changes everything. We don't see our life in this temporary reality. We see it in the, in the complex of eternity. Which means we see things differently than the person who, see, who sees life just in the temporary. It means that we don't buy the saying, well, you only have one life. You might as well just be happy. Oh, oh, well, you know, we're not going to get so long. We might as well be married while it lasts. No, we live a different way. Jesus is saying, I can be experienced. Listen to this, this is big stuff, and this is in God's Word. I can be experienced in the temporary through an eternal reality. That means everything about what the decisions I make, how I conduct myself daily, everything. If I live with eternity in mind, everything changes. Everything changes. How we raise our children, how we invest in our grandchildren. How we see things, how we study things, how we see the news, how we see the world, how we see the urgency of making Him known, how we see the church, that we're we're a family that's not just going to exist temporarily, we're going to be a family that that exists eternally. Think about that. Some of these people around here get on your nerves eternally. (laughs) By the way, none of y'all get on my nerves. I pray for some of you, but none of you get on my nerves. Okay. <laughs> but, but I want you to see that there's something to this. Next John can, excuse me, Jesus can be experienced through fellowship. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had fellowship with Jesus? Do you know he desires that? He desires it. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, or the world I know thinks this way. Man, when you start talking in terms like this, you're getting pretty whacked out. What do you mean fellowship with him? How do we define fellowship here in the church, in a Baptist church? Fried chicken. (laughs) We come together, we're going to eat. That's not a bad thing to do. Jesus, they had fellowship, they ate, they got together. But I'm talking about something deeper than that. 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. You know what John's saying here? John is saying that we can have fellowship with one another when we have fellowship with him. The problem in many churches and many families or whatever is the fact that we're attempting to have fellowship outside the context of who Jesus is. Outside the context of who He truly is. That's the problem most of the time. We get in the way. Jesus is saying there's a connection between eternal life and fellowship. It's interesting that when we read about eternal life and think about eternal life, we're thinking about eternal fellowship with God. And the Trinity, really. But what's interesting is that fellowship is here. It can be realized here. We can live in that reality. God desires to be involved, listen, in the lives of humanity. God the Creator has not left man to fend for himself in this sin-cursed, fallen world. He sent Jesus to say, hey, follow me. There's a better way. And I can lead you right out of here. But he didn't just leave us Jesus came that man may have a fellowship with God. The word fellowship implies companionship. Companionship means to be accepted. It's amazing what we will do to be accepted. You remember some of the stupid things you did as a teenager to be accepted by your peer groups? We all have been there. We acted weird. We got into things immorally we shouldn't have gotten into. We tried things we shouldn't have we just wanted to fit in let me tell you something when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you become accepted you become accepted he brings you in he brings you in now he doesn't accept your sin let me tell you why I know he doesn't accept your sin because he died a terrible death getting rid of it for you so don't tell me he accepts you just the way you are no, he, 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 he died for that sin. He, he, he made a better, listen, he, he made a better investment in you than you could ever imagine. He died for the very sin that entraps you, that enslaves you, that keeps you deceived. And he's saying, walk away from that, and walk to me. I made a way for, for, away from that. He's saying I can accept you because it means to walk with. It means to depend upon. It means to have intimacy with. It means to experience as we've already seen. That's what companionship is. Partnership. We, the Bible says, Paul says it so many different ways. We are to partner with him. To work together towards a common goal. To, to literally pray that the kingdom of God can be manifested here. That people will come to him. That the reality of that kingdom can be realized right here. Fellowship is God's answer to our loneliness. I, I can't imagine there's ever been a time where there's been more loneliness than where, the world we live in right now. I mean, just loneliness. People are so alone. But listen, he, his fellowship is not only with one another. It's with God fellowship invites listen enrichment it invites encouragement it invites enjoyment into our lives next Jesus can be enjoyed Jesus can be enjo- enjoyed let me ask you this second question not only is who is Jesus maybe there's three questions here have you ever have you ever had fellowship with Jesus but the third question is this have you ever enjoyed Jesus you ever just enjoyed him I remember uh, many years ago. There was. How many of you remember a group called New Song? You remember them years ago? I would get so pumped up. Now the kids today—they like Hillsong and all them—and I'm I'm growing to appreciate all that. But back then, man. Arise, my love. I don't know if you remember that song and all that. I could just literally, I, whew, you could. I just felt like I was being lifted out of the place, you know. And, and 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 you listen to all that, and I understand all that. And some of the praise music we've seen here is just, it's just so real. It's it's that whole idea that we can enjoy Him. First John chapter one, look at verse four. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. You ever had your joy full? Joy means an inner gladness. It means a cheerful heart. John considered his encounter with Jesus to have been a a joyful experience. It's literally the best thing that ever happened to him. Joy is God's answer to our emptiness. And there's many people empty today. Listen to what Jesus said himself in John 15. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. You know what he's literally saying? You won't realize the completeness of joy unless I'm involved. But where do we try to find joy? Same place Solomon did. book of Ecclesiastes, most depressing book you could ever read. You go in there and you know what you're finding? A man who's trying everything in this world to bring fulfillment. A man that's trying to bring everything uh, that this world offers to find joy. And he comes up at the end and he says none of it brought him what he thought it brought him. And many of us sitting here today are on the same path to find that joy. You know what Solomon says? It's not found there. It's found in Jesus according to Jesus. Next. Oh yeah, by the way, let me point something else. That your joy may be complete. (laughs) Right after this verse in John 15, you remember what Jesus does? Right after this verse, he will tell them, come to me, your joy will be complete. But by the way, let me tell you this. When you come to me, (laughs) they're going to hate you. They're going to reject you. They're going to persecute you. But you know what he's saying? In the midst of it, your joy can be full. That's a contradiction, isn't it? Not when you're living for eternity. (laughs) Next, Jesus can be encountered... The word encounter means to come upon. It invites a new situation there. When we are saved, we are called out, listen, of the darkness and into the light. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you. So, so here's what John is saying. John is saying, we've experienced him. You can experience him. Here Jesus is encapsulated in everything that he, t- he did in my life. Here's what he says. This is the message we receive from him and declare to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So look at light. What is light? Look on your outline. Light is constant. Light produces life. Light reveals truth and deceit. Light cannot become defiled. Can't become defiled. Light represents what's good and pure. Light produces life. Let me give you a very practical way that happens. How many of you uh, have plants in the house? How many of you know you got to make sure there's enough sunlight for that plant to live? The, Jonathan and Christian, they went to the beach house for the last two weeks. And Gary is one of those that likes to save money. How many of you know Gary? Coupons, let's cut some lights off. If you're standing in this room 15 minutes after the hour... Lights could be coming off. I mean, it's just a reality we all live in. But, but here's what's interesting. <laughs> Those two guys have live plants in their, in their offices. And they wrote big letters and put it on their doors. Gary, please do not shut the blinds. Of course, he wants to say, and why does it? Because they have live plants in there. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, why did you tell us a stupid story? Well, I, I, I'm telling you that light brings life. And when we're living in the light of Jesus Christ and all that he brings, that's when everything, that's when the reality of eternity comes in full view. That's when we can walk around without deception because look at this. It's not darkness. He doesn't come to bring darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So you mean to tell me when I'm not living in the light, I'm I'm taking the initiative to, to, to walk away from the light? That's exactly what we're saying. Here's another one. Darkness cannot drive away light. Light can drive away darkness. But darkness can't drive away light. Darkness produces death. If those signs had not been on the doors this week, we'd have had dead plants over there in office. <laughs> darkness represents what is bad and evil. Here's the application. The fact that we can have fellowship with Jesus and not have to live in darkness is the greatest news the world has ever known. But you know what the Bible says? There are those who want to live in darkness. Let me ask you a question. This past week, did you choose darkness over light? Can I tell you what you were doing? You were moving away from the reality of Jesus in your life. Does that mean if you're a Christian, he just goes away? No. But boy, you can sure be deceived when you start taking that path away from the reality of who Jesus is. Let me tell you why it's so painful sometimes for us to walk directly in the light of who Jesus is. Let me tell you why sometimes it's so painful. Because when we're in the light, this is a fairly new shirt. To my knowledge, there's no stains on here. I didn't fully understand that until I stood in these lights that drive me crazy on Sunday morning. But there's no stains. Nothing. I, didn't, I hadn't sneezed on it. There's not any kind of gob or anything there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. When you walk in the light, you start seeing those things that need to be removed. You start seeing those things that are a problem. You start seeing those things that hold you in bondage. Start seeing those things that need to be removed if you want to enjoy the joy and that joy that's complete that Jesus brings. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you now. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. And I don't know what the need is in this room. The only thing I know is that we're all in need of you. And Father, with everyone sitting here in this room, Lord, I know that there's needs everywhere. There's some that are sitting here today that are in bondage and They're just struggling. And one of the problems is that they've chosen darkness over light. Father, there's some that may be here today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. They've never even understood what light meant in their life. And and today, something's going on. There's something happening. As the word came forth this morning, there was something that stirs within them. Father, I just pray that you you would work in our lives as only you can. Father, give us your joy. Give us the light that we not be deceived. Lord, help us to not only communicate who the Bible Jesus is, help us to live the Bible Jesus. Lord, help us to have companionship with you, but also have partnership with you to realize that there are things that you've called us to. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet, please? I'll ask you to sing with us this morning a Hymn of Him.